Hello again, and welcome to the Coffee with a Recruiter podcast. And today I'm speaking with Daisy Duardo. Daisy has an interesting profile. She's an ex-insurance professional turned law student studying at the University of Essex. She's also a mental health advocate, public speaker, and blogger. Daisy is passionate about ending the stigma of mental health, and today she shares with us her experiences and insights on this subject. How can your company support mental health? What can you do to overcome anxiety and panic attacks? How do you use social media whilst avoiding its negative effects? We'll talk about this and much more on the Coffee with a Recruiter podcast. Is it recording? Yes, it is. Hi, Daisy. How are you? Hi, Jose. It's really nice to meet you. I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, very good. Very good. It's my. Um, it's actually my first podcast episode interviewing someone uh, for this year. Um, and I was just realizing how much I miss it because you get to speak to amazing people, you get to learn, but also you get to give some value out there, whatever that might be, even if it's the way I see it is like, even if you just help one person, that's still like something, something quite meaningful. And, uh, and it's really a pleasure speaking with you because, you know, we, we chatted about this before, but I've been following you a little bit on LinkedIn and I, and I quite enjoy your posts and I, um, I've been wanting to have a discussion around mental health with someone and I, I see you're, you know, you're, you're, you're quite knowledgeable in this space. So I wanted to unpack that. I wanted to unpack your background and, and what it is you do, but also some of the other less like mental health areas that you sort of touch upon uh, would be interesting to, to, to unpack. I know you did a leadership sort of seminar, so I wanted to dig into that. So just really, first of all, thank you so much for your time. No problem. Thank you for having me on. I'm, I've been really looking forward to having this conversation. Um, I've started speaking up about mental health quite recently, actually. Mm. Um, and I really want to give a platform and use my voice because I feel like when I was struggling, it's something that was really difficult to talk about. Um, so the more people that can come out and talk about mental health, the better, I think, anyway. I think there's a big global shift that's happening, especially this year. It seems to be coming to the surface everywhere as a result of the pandemic. So it's great to um, to have this space and tackle these hard topics. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned that. I mean, I think the pandemic has really shed a light on this because I suppose we're isolated. We're not seeing friends as often family or colleagues so a lot of times people are I suppose are are alone and um, you know if, if you're someone that needs and we all need that human contact then it's extra difficult and if you add on top of that the difficulties of redundancy unemployment that's that's just the trigger right yeah I mean the the loneliness on its own is is an epidemic of itself right now. The proportions are so high. Um, I read a study the other day and it said, I can't remember the exact figure, but it was understandably most people have struggled with lonely this year, this year because of the isolation. And um, I know that when I called up my local NHS mental health services back in uh, 2018, I think it was, there was a nine month waiting list to get any mental health support back then. Um, so I can't even imagine what that waiting list is like today. Well, I, one 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 other side effect that I that I actually read about, I think on LinkedIn, and I mentioned this before in another episode, but we're actually 
I think due to the lack of look, you know, speaking with people, we're actually a bit socially inept right now. Like uh, I read that since we're we're talking less in person with others, it's it's making us a bit more socially awkward. Like I kind of feel that in myself when I talk to people and see them again in person, I'm just bumbling and stuttering and and I don't know what to say almost, and I just feel socially awkward. I don't know if you've you felt anything similar, or maybe it's maybe it's just me. I don't know. <laughs> I definitely have felt similar, and I, I suspect that anxiety as we move out of the pandemic and we start to be able to integrate in society more and socialize again, um, I think we might see a bit of a shift from depression, from the isolation, to the anxiety of going back to normal life again. Um, back in August, I. I came back to my home island of Oldney and because there's no COVID cases here at the moment, which is incredible, thank you very much, (laughs) um, you have to do a two-week complete quarantine. And I came on my own, so it was 14 days of just me on on my own in the house. Um, And it was was really hard. And the hardest part, actually, was the last day when I stepped outside – it was such a strange feeling to do something as simple as stepping out the front door of a house. Yeah. Um, and it was, it was really nerve-wracking. Yeah, 100% when you see people again it's it's just it's just weird. It's but it's a, it's a good weird but then it's still like oh I'm I'm more nervous than usual and what should I say yeah. how do we catch up? Um I guess I guess before before unpacking all of this I just wanted to 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 ask you to give us a, a quick introduction just for the people that aren't, you know, maybe incredibly familiar or not connected with you on LinkedIn. Can you maybe give me an introduction on who you are, what you've done and, and what you're doing right now? Okay. Yeah, sure. So my name's Daisy Eduardo. Um, I'll give you a quick introduction. Um, I'm from Alderney in the Channel Islands, which is a really small beautiful island 2,000 people here Um, and I used to work in insurance and I got a bit fed up of it all so I went away traveling in 2017 ended up moving to the UK Um, I did a series of temporary jobs and um, zero hours contract work um, and I vowed I wasn't going to go back to insurance but I did Um, anyway I I ended up working for a firm Um, it was quite a toxic culture and I left and I'm retraining in law so at the moment I'm at the University of Essex um, doing a law degree and when lockdown hit last year I decided that I was going to start speaking more about the mental health struggles that I've had in my life Um, I've done a lot of healing work with a life coach over the last couple of years because I was having panic attacks and it kind of forced me to go and see someone about it. Yeah. And now I've come to a place where I can talk about these things. Um, so when I was younger, I struggled with depression, self-harm, anxiety, panic attacks. Um, it, there was really years of my life that I just lost. They just vanished. It was just this big dark pit and I just didn't see any way out of that um, I tried to take my own life a few times back then and it's taken me a long time to come to terms with it and heal the underlying issues behind that but now that I have I, I just really want to talk about it because when I was in that place I needed to see people how who had been through it and come out the other side and weren't just surviving but were actually thriving and I didn't I didn't see people talking about it. 
Um, so that's why I've decided that I'm going to be a voice. Um, and he- here I am today. It's a big part of, of that journey. Yeah, I think I think it has to do, and I think you mentioned this a few times, but there's almost this, um, I, I don't know if I suppose maybe stigma is the word, right? When talking about your yeah. own mental health, it's, um, I mean, it's a, it's just a strange position to be in and uh, 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 and society is it's just quite awkward when it comes to discussing these more sensitive topics it is and I, I think there has been quite a big shift this year particularly um, but for me even in the family unit there was quite a big stigma it wasn't something that was spoken about at home really it was just Oh, Daisy's having problems right now. It, it wasn't really an open space. Um, mm. And it's the same in a lot of workplaces. Um, I've worked for companies that have said, oh, yeah, we're, we're really good with mental health. You can put sick days down as um, mental health days. But then you would ask for a few hours off to go to the doctor and it would be a big deal. Or when it actually came down to impacting your work, it then wasn't so accepted and it, it's not such an open culture as they might present it as. Um, so I think things are changing, but I do think there's a long way to go. Yeah, a lot of companies, as a, as a recruiter, I see a lot of companies see mental health, like when it comes to taking care of the workplace and having a, a positive workspace, a lot of companies think, okay, let's set up some ping pong tables, some bean bags, mm-hmm. uh, beers in the fridge, and yeah, all drink. of the stuff. That looks good. <laughs> um, but then, and then it's like, um, yeah, I don't. I mean, not not sure you're you're providing the right answer to 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 actual mental mental health issues. I'm not sure adding the little fun toys is is the right way to go. Yeah, I mean, it's hard. It is hard to know what to do. I've seen quite a few companies and I've recently qualified as one myself, but they've trained members of staff as mental health first aiders, which is absolutely brilliant because um, you're educating people in the office or in the workplace, um, not only about depression and anxiety, but as part of the mental health first aid course, I learned about psychosis and schizophrenia. So maybe some more... um, I don't know what the word is, but but schizophrenia and psychosis, they're kind of topics that people are even more adverse to touching than depression and anxiety, perhaps because less people are affected by them or just understanding is a lot lower in general. So by having those mental health first aiders about, um, they can signpost other employees to mental health services. Um, and I think it just creates a more inclusive culture to, to know that if you're struggling, the companies, it's not just giving it lip service, it's actually put people through training to support people with mental health issues. But then in turn, those mental health first aiders, um, they also need support, they're, they're not therapists. So I think there are lots of things that companies can do, it's just getting them to actually do it. Yeah, that would be so interesting to to receive one of those trainings. and um, And I guess then you also realize i suppose you almost know where to where to spot the signs right because maybe employees they don't want to talk about it but if you're someone that understands the uh, the signs 
uh, of someone that is going through some type of trauma, then you can go to, or whatever the approach is, I don't know if going directly to the person and and mentioning it or bringing it up is the right approach, but then you actually, as a, as a, as someone that has done some training, then you know how to approach things and, and make the workplace a bit, a bit better at least. Absolutely. I mean, the reason that I went on this course was because um, I've had a lived experiences of mental health, but even I would be cautious about approaching people because what if I said the wrong thing? What if I made it worse? Um, There's all of these fears that run through your mind, isn't there? Um, And it can put people off having these tough conversations. Um, So the mental health first aid course kind of taught me to just hold space, just listen. Sometimes you don't even have to say anything just be aware of what services are on offer so that you can signpost people to them. Mm. If you're, if you're, um, let's say if you're an employee and you, you're working at a company and then, and you sort of notice that a colleague is, is struggling, is undergoing some type of, um, you know, maybe, maybe just stress at work, some type of trauma, some type of, um, mental health difficulty what would generally be a good approach you you said a few things but what would generally be a nice thing to do oh that's a tough question isn't it because it also depends where you're standing um sometimes it's just saying are you okay It, it can really be that simple as asking someone how are you and actually meaning that when you ask them yeah yeah i think that's yeah as a as an employee sometimes we feel awkward like oh should i like and and rightly so because it's such a tricky subject so you think oh is it okay if i approach or should i be quiet or i suppose it depends on your relationship doesn't yeah. it because if you're not close with them at all they might not receive it well but i do think that most of the time it's better to say something than to just ignore it. And if you're just asking, how are you? It's a very um, non-triggering, non-obtrusive question. And then it's up to them whether they want to actually tell you or not. Yeah, yeah. G- giving the person the option, right? And yeah. yeah, absolutely. And and I wanted to, to ask you because I, as you mentioned, you've also had your own lived experience through things like anxiety and 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 I suppose traumas, right? So I wanted to um, ask, like in your personal experience, what what's been maybe how how did you find a way out of that ex- anxiety? Like, what was your sort of process out of it? Because maybe there's some tips there that that people might might relate to and think, oh, maybe that's also something that I would like to do. So for the anxiety in particular and the panic attacks, um, I'm I'm not sure if you've ever had a panic attack. It's a really actually horrific thing Um, and it would happen to me quite often and it was very intrusive on my day-to-day life and I started avoiding doing certain things. I never knew when it was going to happen. It once happened when I was driving my car on the um, A12 and that was a pretty terrifying Mm. (laughs) trying to pull over and calm down and but at at the time when they were happening I didn't actually know what they were 
I'd been to the doctor about feeling faint and having my heart racing and my vision starting to go. And they'd um, done lots of heart tests and they'd, they'd said that I had a problem regulating my blood pressure, um, which I've read lots of books on the topic of trauma and PTSD and panic attacks. And it, yeah, that, that is a, a symptom of it, but it's a lot deeper than that. It's a, your body has a problem self-regulating its panics and alert systems in general. Um, which then causes that. Um, but the way that I found out of that was really meditation played a big part and so did yoga. Mm -hmm. It was learning to be able to sit with fear and to be able to feel all these physical sensations in my body and not be scared of them. It's, it sounds quite uh, simple, but it was really hard. Like it, it did take a long time to come to that um, because for me, panic attacks were I would get myself into that panic state because I was scared of having a panic attack. So it was kind of a self-perpetuating cycle. Yeah, I can imagine, especially if you're driving, it's it's because then you have the extra pressure of, oh, this is happening right now. And I'm yeah. driving, <laughs> so it it's like a, a just a double whammy right there, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I, I almost gave up driving at one point after it happened because I thought, why would I put myself in a situation where, I, I mean, I could be a danger to myself, I could be a danger to other road users, I, and I was really anxious anyway. So even though when it happened, I pulled the car over, I calmed down, I was nowhere close to having any kind of accident. I felt out of control but I handled it really well um but your mind plays tricks on you and it would run into all of these scenarios about well what if this what if this had happened um but I I spoke to someone at work actually and they would never drive their car into the city they were terrified of main roads they didn't want to go anywhere busy so they wouldn't drive their car onto the M25 or into London and I just thought am I am I really going to let this impact the rest of my life? Mm. Am I really going to just accept that I'm scared of driving my car and at 23 years old, I think I was, just drop it and leave it at that? And I, and I thought, no, I'm not going to do that. I, I'm going to learn how to get through this and I'm going to do it as quickly as possible. So I think one of the biggest things with anxiety is as hard as it is, don't stop doing the things that scare you because as soon as you stop doing those things, you're kind of justifying to yourself why you shouldn't do them because you're acting on that fear. You're making it your reality. And then it's a lot harder to start doing them again. Yeah. Especially if you have a lot of time without doing them, then it, you know, this there, you get this time gap of like, Ooh, it's been six months, 12 months, since, yeah, I, since I did the thing. thing yeah yeah you let it grow and then when it's then it becomes too too much of an anxious experience to to revisit almost yeah and then for for that long period of time that you're not doing it for um your, your brain is kind of exploring these scenarios of well I can't do it because this might go wrong or this might go wrong and you, you build up this narrative in yourself um which kind of links back to lockdown actually because because we've all been so affected by it I'm sure there's many things that 
we haven't done for a long time, like get on a plane, for example. Um, I got on a plane a few weeks ago to come back to Alderney and um, it's actually really nerve-wracking, even though you, you know that you're safe, you know nothing's going to go wrong, nothing's really changed, everyone's wearing masks, but they're wearing masks everywhere now. Mm. It's all that, oh, I haven't done this, and it just feels, it's kind of slipping back into things again, isn't it? I think a lot of us are going to struggle with that post-pandemic. Yeah, and how did yoga and, and meditation help? So you, when, when did you pick these activities up um, and, and how did they help you? So um, yoga and meditation, I've always been a bit of a, a hippie, I suppose, a bit of a free <laughs> spirit. Um, I've, I've been interested in these things for years and years and years. Um, and I started meditating when I was about 22, so about three, four years ago now. Um, and I'd, I'd never really used it for mental health reasons. It was just a, like a spiritual experience for me. Um, and then when I started experiencing anxiety suddenly that became integral to not feeling that anxiety and not only not feeling it because that's kind of not not the stance to take at all it's not about avoiding it it's about sitting with it and yeah. learning to experience it and not be scared of it um so for meditation in particular the, the things that helped me the most were there's an app called calm and there's an app called headspace i'm not sure if you've heard of Headspace especially is huge now. Yeah, I've heard of both. I've, I used to use... And they're Calm really, really helpful apps. What, what, sorry? What did I you used to use? Oh, Calm. Yeah, I used to Calm, have yeah. Calm on my phone. Yeah, it's yeah I absolutely love it. They have lots of mini courses in there. So you can, depending on your level, you can choose what level you're at. Um, so I struggled with self-acceptance a lot. So I would work through the courses on self-acceptance and... It was just that they broke it down really nicely so you could choose what you wanted to focus on, whether, say, anxiety, for example. Um, I think both of them have options for dealing with anxiety, and it focuses you on that issue, which is just amazing. Yeah, I used to, I used to use like the 10 minutes, sometimes the 20 minute sort of sleep. Um, uh, what do you call those like... Um, uh, meditation sessions yeah 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 to to fall asleep because i think like i just i just have really bad sleeping habits um but anything past like half an hour i think it's just my attention span would would just i, I don't know i have a really short attention span maybe so when it came <laughs> to like something longer than half an hour i was like okay this is that's long um did but try I also, one I had a Stephen Fry was talking about lavender fields. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so relaxing. Yeah, it is. Well, uh, I was going to mention that. Like they have these forty-five minute, one hour uh, monologues with with famous people talking about relax, like that that same thing, like lav lavender fields or a very quiet train ride or anything along those lines. So. Um, yeah, I can I can say even I'm I'm like I, I would sometimes uh, think of myself as not not a hippie, but like oh I'm like 
oh, all about facts and and science. But then even that, I was like, oh, this is actually quite calming, you know. So I, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think it's it's appealing to everybody. And whereas in the past, perhaps it has been a bit more um, off center. It's been Eastern philosophy and maybe a bit hippie, a bit wide hitting. Um, but now it, it is moving into the mainstream. I saw an advert on TV the other day for a new, um, it was like a, a funny box that you plug in, not a subscription service, but it had um, TV streaming, movies, music, karaoke, and yoga. Oh, and I wow. thought you would never have seen that before. It, it, it just, you, you're seeing um, meditation and yoga crop up in a lot more spaces and they're um, really, really growing, which is amazing because they're so, um, just so helpful. Yeah, and and yoga is physically quite tough. I mean, it I, is, and I didn't realize that when I started. I was like, oh, that's going to be so fun. You just roll around on the floor. One of them even tells you to grab a pillow. It's going to be dead easy. Mm. Exercise in your pajamas. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of muscles there that you don't use doing other exercise. Um, a lot of core work, a lot of balance. Um, yeah, it, it can be hard work. There's some poses that are ridiculously hard. Um, the headstand, I ha- I'm nowhere near conquering a headstand. Absolutely. Yeah, I remember, I mean, I tried it a few times and it was just super painful. So yeah. I mean, when people practice <laughs> yoga, I quite I quite respect them because I think, well, that's, that's actually physically quite, quite demanding. Um, it can so- be, yeah. But there's also... Um, the, the lady that I use who I absolutely love is Yoga with Adrienne on YouTube. She's really famous now. And she repeats in her videos a lot, like, ignore what I'm doing. If you can't stretch this far, just listen to your body and stop where your body's at. Um, yeah. it, it's really not competition. And that's why I love practicing at home as well, because I'm not looking around the class, seeing what everyone else is doing. I'm just focused on myself and what my body tells me is right. Well, I think, and this is a topic that I that I wanted to bring up, but I but I think all of these techniques they help especially today because so a lot of people due to COVID or due to the issues we discussed early on are are maybe in their in their job search or or they have a stressful jobs or they're undergoing some some type of challenge due to the current circumstances, right? So what are I suppose some of the more popular or or useful, let's say, useful techniques or activities or mindsets that help with with this this stress, right? I mean, you you mentioned a few things like we discussed meditation and yoga, but I saw on your website that you also discuss, um, you know, things like dealing with with change in your life, or I suppose the fourteen day quarantine is one thing you touched upon. So, what would be like some of the techniques that that people could could use uh, outside of things like yoga and and meditation. That's quite a tough question. I think a big thing is your mindset, and that's quite a vague statement to make. So I'll elaborate a bit more. Um, how you view the world. So if I if I remember my statistics correctly and my facts correctly. Every second, your brain registers 100,000 different pieces of information, and it only retains or notices seven of those. 
So we are constantly, constantly, constantly filtering our environment. We're filtering every single piece of information that our brain takes in and deciding what to notice or not. Um, And we're not necessarily aware of this at all. It depends on our mood, what we've been doing. You know how sometimes um, you'll miss your alarm in the morning and you'll, you'll be late for work and then suddenly your whole day is ruined and um, then you burn your dinner that you're cooking and, and everything seems to go wrong that way. A car drives past and splashes you and um, it's just a terrible, terrible day. It's, it's ruined before it's even begun. And other times um, it's just a great day and nothing seems to bring you down. A lot of that is because our minds and our moods are telling our minds what we're going to remember, what we're going to notice, what we're going to take away. And I think practicing a mindset of gratitude is transformational and I say practice because it if it doesn't come naturally to you which it never ever did to me I would always notice the the bad things and the negatives and it's it's especially hard because our brains are millions of years old they've evolved to notice what's missing so that we can fix that to keep ourselves safe. We're working with these ancient brains that are not well adjusted to modern life. If you think about how much we have to deal with today that we wouldn't have dealt with 500 years ago, all of the technology, all of the notifications, all of the traffic, all of the noise, it's a completely different life and our brains have not evolved. They've not adapted to that yet. So we have to teach them to. And so when we practice gratitude, the more we can teach ourselves to notice the small positives and they really don't have to be big things. It can be as simple as um, just looking up at the sky. Actually, that's one of the biggest things for me because no matter what's going on in life, if I just look up at the sky, it's almost always beautiful, almost always, unless it's a really grey, grisly day, which we get a lot of in the UK. (laughs) The clouds, the sun, the, the stars, there's always something up there that I can notice and I just, take a little a little um snippet in my mind and just remember that and how I started to really incorporate it into a new mindset was at the end of every day I would write down 10 things that I was grateful for that day and I'm not talking about denying all the horrible things that happen in life and all the stress and the challenges but notice those nice things anyway it's kind of doing it in despite of in despite of everything else. And as time goes on, you'll really see a shift in your mindset and you will start to notice positives a lot more. I don't know if, if this maybe relates to that or or maybe, maybe you disagree with this, um, but I've noticed that when I'm around people and a lot of times it's people that only see the negatives and they only talk about the negatives and they only, um, you know, they they what's a good way of putting it like uh, you know it, it kind of impacts you also right don't yeah, I don't know if, yeah. If, yeah I mean what I mean when I what's a good way of putting it um what's a it's it's a tricky one because maybe people are going through serious issues but sometimes when people talk about oh this you know this person uh, while I was driving they they yelled at me or, oh, I dropped my coffee today. Oh, at, at work, um, 
uh, I, I'm going to miss this deadline, stuff like that, you know, like these, these things. And, uh, and, you know, a, a lot of that, sometimes it impacts you when you're listening. And then you also feel like, oh my God, like this is also like, it does. Um, it absolutely does. Yeah. And there are, that's what happens when you're operating on this level of, um, of this misery filter where you are picking up all the negatives, which is almost arguably our natural state because our brains, these ancient brains that aren't accustomed to modern day life, we do, we do this automatically and we have to teach ourselves not to. Um, and when you then, um, say it's, I don't, I mean, this probably has happened to you, but you're stuck in a traffic jam. You're really annoyed about the traffic jam, but it's only, say, 15 minutes and you move on, you carry on your journey, you get to where you're going. But then when you get to that place and you say, oh, I was stuck in this awful traffic jam and I was so annoyed and um, a car cut me off when it started moving again. Like just saying that out loud, you experience all of those negative emotions in your body for the second yeah, you're, time. You're right? reliving that. <laughs> yeah, reliving yeah. It. You're doing it to yourself. And then also that negative energy is flowing onto the person that you're telling about it. So then they're thinking, oh, wow, they had a terrible day. And they're feeling it as well. So it's kind of, we can perpetuate bad energy or we can spread good energy. And I'm not saying we deny when bad things happen. We should all validate our own feelings. Um, but you can choose what you spread into this world and what you hang on to. And that's really powerful. Yeah, I'll notice it within myself, like even things from like 20 years ago when I was whatever, like, I'll remember one thing that happened at school when I was 10. And I'll just feel awkward about myself. And I'll think, why am I remembering this? This is just like, why am I doing this to myself? Like that, that happened so long ago. And I'm still like, you know, dwelling in it or something along those lines. Yeah, I still do that sometimes, especially if I can't sleep at night, things will pop into my head about something silly that I said when I was 10 years old. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, it's ridiculous, isn't it? But um, I think the fact that we hold on to those little memories mean that they have impacted us in some way. Um, so w when things like that happen, I kind of hold it in my mind for a minute. I kind of look back to my past self and say, that's understandable. Like, that's okay that you said that. You don't need to feel embarrassed. And then I kind of, forgive myself for it and let it go and that, yeah. that helps a lot it kind of gets those um because you do get in these cycles of trapped thoughts and it, it kind of helps to break you out of that well I, I generally tell myself you know what Jose it's okay you were 10 years old I mean yeah. everyone yeah. does weird 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 stuff or they or weird stuff happens to them when they're even when they're adults imagine when you're a kid <laughs> oh yesterday <laughs> <laughs> Now, I think one one thing that I that I saw that you've been quite active with is um, is the is I believe you organized the leadership event, correct? I did, yeah. Can you tell me sort of how that started, how it originated, and and what was the the objective and how it was received? Can you tell us a bit about it? Absolutely. Um, so last year, at the beginning of lockdown in the UK, in about March. Um, a group of us from the University of Essex set up a society, the Ethics Entrepreneurial Society, and I was asked to be president. So as president of the society, I co-host and host um, online events and a series that I'm partway through releasing is called Leadership. It starts with you. Um, and we've released part one already. That was an interactive workshop in uh, October, November or December. I don't even know where we are this year. 
mm-hmm. at some point recently. Um, and that can be found on my website, daisyduardo.wordpress.com. Um, and it, basically, that was all about helping you set direction in your life because lots of us, and I've definitely been there, when you feel stuck and you know that you want to make a big change, but you don't know what it is. And I've I've felt stuck in jobs before where I felt like I I was just waiting for something to come along that was going to be better. But I didn't have any interest in in finding out what that was or going out and making it happen. I just thought it would turn up one day. So part one was about setting direction. And that was about finding out what our underlying values are, writing a mission statement and finding your purpose, really. So you have something to work towards. And then later on this year, I'm releasing part two and part three, which is about motivation and then part three is staying on track and adapting to change. Mm. Well, especially motivation is something that's that that I'm going to be very interested in listening to because one thing that um, that I read about or that I, I can't remember, I think it's in a book or something, is that motivation is is um, it's not something you can. What's a good way of putting it? Like it's it's something that. A lot of people either they they have loads about maybe because how they're wired or in their brains or something that people just generally do to their personalities they 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 don't have an incredible amount of so it's something you also need to need to build and and one way to build it is by having small wins right because yeah uh, yeah. yeah absolutely so one of the biggest parts of motivation for me and maintaining high levels of motivation is celebration. The more we celebrate our achievements, whether they're small or large, it's that it creates that feedback loop, which is really, um, you know, we, and we have to celebrate ourselves really. We can't wait around for someone else to come along and pop a bottle of champagne and throw, throw us a party with big banners. Like it can be as simple as in my, in my journal at the end of last year, I wrote a page, which was um, dreams that I had turned into reality in 2020. And I, I, it's actually amazing when you stop and sit down and look back at the things that you've done. Again, they can be big things or small things. They, they add up to a huge achievement. Um, so I'm all about celebrating our own wins. Yeah, and I think it's 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 one thing to think about. And I guess with New Year's, a lot of people are setting New Year's resolutions or anything along those lines. But um, I suppose as the months go on, people just forget about their 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 objectives. And that's mainly, I guess, because you lose motivation, right? You're like, oh, okay, you know, I mean... For different reasons, I think people maybe just forget or maybe they think, you know what, I got 12 months, so, you know, I can start losing weight, you know, maybe in August, I guess, and uh, and then and then I'll get myself motivated. But by then, it's a lot of times too, too late. So I was thinking also, like, it's good to set yourself, like, smaller deadlines, like, okay, in two months, instead of in the next 12 months, think to yourself, okay, by March, I want to... Um, be able to run a half marathon or be able to um, lose or, you know, lose X amount of weight or, or talk to strangers and make friends, that sort of stuff. Yeah, I think that's another big part of motivation. So you have the first step or perhaps the second step, which is 
celebrating when you accomplish something, but also setting yourself goals. So I'm not a big fan of New Year's resolutions myself because mm. um, this might sound harsh, but most of them don't work. <laughs> most people yeah. don't stick to their New Year's resolutions because um, it, it's just all a bit um, perhaps gimmicky. I don't know what, what the word is, but it doesn't feel very authentic. Well, it's weird that we choose the end of December to 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 do this. Like, that's an unusual, like, why wait till the end of December to to think about these things? Just, I suppose, just think about them always, right? Yeah, just think about them always and then just start when you want to. Um, but a big, a big thing with setting goals. So, like, a, another page in my journal is 12-month dreams. So I use the word dreams. I just think it sounds a bit, it sounds a bit prettier than goals. I like to go out and think of it. Um, but there's there's little things in here like one of them is just keep writing on my blog just keep doing that yeah so they don't have to be huge things and the more you go back and you take things off the more you feel confident in yourself that you can make things happen um so yeah set set goals and then celebrate them when you get there big and little yeah, it's a it's it's such a strange one, and I think it's good to also have a blog because it forces you to really think about your thoughts and and what exactly it is you're you're you want to say, right? You're forced to well, you're not forced, but you're motiv- you're you're writing, so you really need to understand what it is you're talking about, and you actually learn a lot from it. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It's, it's a it's a good way to self-reflect but then because you're showing someone else your work um you kind of have to refine your ideas and give some give some details behind them make them more presentable yeah I think blogging's been really important for me because I've, I've always kept a journal but I've always been really scared of um judgment I suppose judgment rejection um people thinking I'm weird or um, all about appearances, really. And then, as soon as I decided that I don't care, I, I, if if someone wants to think negative about me, they can absolutely go ahead. It's nothing to do with me, as long as my words are making some kind of positive impact, especially around mental health. It kind of cancels out that fear. And I've, I think, as soon as you have someone say thank you for writing about that. I've struggled with it, but I've never felt able to talk about it before. That kind of just justifies it. I think you said it at the beginning of the podcast. If, um, if you touch one person, that's enough of a reason. Absolutely. Well, this, this brings me to, to maybe a last thing, which was, um, I think you wrote a little bit about social media and um, it's a tricky one because when you're writing a blog or, or a podcast, or you're publishing on LinkedIn, Instagram, anything along those lines. It's, um, on the one hand, a great way to express ideas and reach people and talk about issues. But also, it's like a kind of a, it can be, or it can turn into somewhat of a toxic uh, place. I mean, because of things like how much time we sometimes waste on social media just scrolling through facebook or or instagram or anything along those lines but also then you need to face criticism and it's it's going to happen because you're 
uh, no, no idea is perfect and any idea is going to have it you know out of 100 people at least one person is going to push back and say well actually i don't agree and um and then they might present their arguments or they might just be be bullies right i mean yeah. what's your what are your thoughts to to social media and 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 using it but at the same time using it in a balanced way and not letting it affect you too much so I've had different experiences with different platforms. The one that I found the worst for um, trolls and arguments was Twitter. Um, within a couple of months of starting Twitter, I had some people just try and shut me down, really, without really having justifications. They, they, they weren't disagreeing. Um, they're, they're just trolling. So I kind of decided to spend my energy elsewhere. I think LinkedIn's a lot better because people are more professional on it. Um, yeah. Yeah. They'll actually, say, yeah. Sorry, yeah. They'll, they'll actually engage in a conversation. And if they disagree, you can have that back and forth and it's all respectful and polite. Um, whereas for Facebook, for example, I actually came off Facebook last June, July time in the black lives matter movement time, because I posted some resources. There was a charity that I was volunteering for at the time called Appeal, and they work on miscarriage of justice cases, and they're really informed on institutional racism in the criminal justice system. And they'd created a lot of content for sharing on social media, um, and it had resources of how you can support the movement, some statistics about our justice system to kind of educate yourself on it. And I, um, I shared it. It, quite bravely, I've now realised, or well, perhaps yeah. not, I shared it on um, some of the local community pages on Facebook. And um, I really did not think that racism was a controversial issue before. I really was not expecting the amount of um, just plain denial and pushback I got from people saying um, just dismissing everything and there was quite a lot of trolls on there actually as well um yeah. so i came on facebook for a long time because i thought i'm spending so much time trying to fight off these people who just fundamentally disagree with me i'm not going to change their minds i'd be better off starting something like a blog and um just using my energy in a way that's going to have a bigger impact there is one big danger though with social media that i find and it does, it does tend to put you in a little bubble. Yeah. So I think LinkedIn's probably quite bad for this as well. I quite rarely have people disagree with me. And I don't know if that's a good thing or not, because is it that the algorithm is only showing you things that you agree with, because then you're more likely to engage with them and stay on the platform. So there's always this, like it's not necessarily reality. Yeah, I think it's I, I think it's one of the um, I, I know there's this Facebook documentary that recently came out. I think it's called The Social Dilemma. And I, wow, I that? Yeah, I saw it a, a while back, so I can't remember all of it, but I think basically the algorithm learns what you like and dislike. So it just keeps showing you more of what you what you like. Mm-hmm. And well then you you end up in this bubble, right? Because you you're only presented the ads that you like and the friends that you're more likely to agree with and the Facebook yeah. groups that you that you most probably would be interested in joining based on the things you you like and you comment on, right? Yeah. So, uh, it's a bit of a tricky one. 
It is. I just joined TikTok and um, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I registered with TikTok through my Facebook account or it asked me for permission to do with Facebook or something. I mean, I don't even read these things. I just click, click agree, right? Don't we all? Um, maybe yeah. I'm a law student, but I don't. <laughs> and suddenly it was showing me I'd never used TikTok before. So how did it have any idea what type of content I was going to like? But it kept showing me these really um, funny takes, like political takes on current affairs. And I just found them hilarious. And yeah. So the only reason it could have known my political stance, well, was through my Facebook profile, but I don't even think I, I must have liked some things on Facebook at some point. And it's just crazy because it already knew what I was going to find funny before I'd even been on it. Yeah, it's, it gets creepy. It, yeah. it gets creepy. Like, I think around the time when I got a a, a, a cat, um, I started getting ads on YouTube for cat food. And no. I'm like, this is oddly what? specific. Like, this is happening. way too, how is this happening? Like, what's, yeah. that's, I mean, yeah. I read a study on it and it basically said, and I, oh, I don't know if I can really accept this or not because it seems too spooky, but they <laughs> said that the algorithms are so good at predicting your behavior that they know you're going to do stuff before you do. So they were kind of arguing that it's not that they were spying on you and knew you got a cap, it's that they predicted you were going to get a cat before you did or i don't know oh, exactly yeah. that sounds a bit uh that can't be right but it, it's scary how how accurate and um, well i think what they turn up one thing that i read was so especially in the early stages of lockdown a lot of people started getting pets a lot of people right. were like oh i need an in- indoor cat or a dog or just based on you it's based on like a, a computer version of you yeah, <laughs> like a yeah. generic a generic rose we we think people like you are going to get a cat so we're going to show you cat adverts yeah i mean it's 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 either that or they're just everywhere and listening to everything you're <laughs> you're talking and publishing yeah um, and uh, well, yeah, if you think about it, like you can log in with your Facebook account to this and to that, and you're with your Google account to yeah, literally data with each other. Yeah. And they're making so much money off all of this data, which is yeah. giving them free. Yeah. I mean, we, we could do a whole new episode on, um, I mean, I'm, I'm deep, I'm, I like a good conspiracy theory. So. <laughs> I would go down the rabbit hole all the way, basically, with these things. The funny thing is, though, um, like I'm, I'm aware of all of this, but I'm still using them. And um, yeah. <laughs> I kind of justify it to myself by thinking, you know, I get a lot of value from them. Like, for example, I've come on your podcast today because of LinkedIn, um, things like that. They can be really beneficial. But then also i've started to limit my time on social media during the day because i was noticing that i'd pick up my phone every half an hour or so to check my notifications unnecessarily so it's a balance isn't it and and you can think oh i can play these platforms to my advantage no they are so advanced they're designed to manipulate human behavior and to keep you engaged 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 like um i i, I think they're the they're the ones with the power here they're the ones manipulating us. Yeah, well, you know, they know psychology and they know what keeps people hooked 
they can have really big mental health impacts as well especially platforms like instagram where it's all images um, and you can get this really fake sense of what you're supposed to look like and problems around body image how great everyone else's life seemed to be because we oh, all 100 percent i have some friends yeah, like on really facebook negative. and it's just weird how much traveling they've done i mean <laughs> Oh, I have friends and, and it's like in the next, in the last six to 12 months, they've gone all over the world during this pandemic. And I'm like, wait, aren't we, isn't it, you're not supposed to fly, but you've visited all these countries in the, they, how's actually, that? They've been posting old stuff. So they've actually been doing it. I think they've been doing it. Yeah. Wow. I guess they, I mean, some in some cases you can still fly. Yeah. So. I mean, they were like, well, now's the time. <laughs> you would be like, oh, everything must be so cheap at the moment. We should go and support people's economies. And why not now? We can't put life on hold. But on the other hand, you've got like, you might be spreading coronavirus. What if you get sick for some other reason and you're you're in a country where the healthcare system swamped? Yeah. I, I, no, I, yeah, that wouldn't be me this year. But Yeah, you want to be socially responsible, right? So Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's such a tricky one. Well, to 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 wrap up, Daisy, where can people find out more about yourself? You know, what you publish, and maybe the the social media that you use. Even though we've been bashing social media for the past <laughs> ten minutes, <laughs> let's let's get a bit hypocritical. Yeah. Um, so my, you can find me at daisyduardo.wordpress.com. I've got a bit of a um non-english name shall we say so it's d-o-a-r-d-o and you can find me on linkedin i talk a lot on linkedin about mental health mental health in the workplace about the power of authenticity um and yeah i mean get get in touch with me if, if you have any projects around mental health i'm really looking to make as big an impact as i can at the moment um, i have a few announcements to come later on in the year so make sure you subscribe and um, yeah, I look forward to virtually meeting you all. Thank you, Daisy. Well, thank you so much for thank taking the time to do this. Today. It's been a really interesting and entertaining conversation. I'm very grateful that you've, you've invited me on, Jose. Same here. Thank you so much for your time and hopefully we'll talk soon. Thanks again. Yeah, thanks. Bye. It was great fun speaking with Daisy and learning about her mental health insights. You can find more information about her in the episode description. If you like this episode, then please subscribe or follow on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcast fix. Thanks again and stay safe.